We extend a welcome to you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Dwight, Dwight last Sunday gave his excuse for not sharing a Christmas message, and I was sitting there feeling kind of smug because I thought, well, don't relate to me. It's not my turn to preach. Earlier in the week here, Dennis had texted me, wanted to know whether he could do a swap with me, so I, I ended up with my turn being today. I'm more than happy to accommodate my fellow ministers if there's uh, a request to have that done, if it's uh, convenient for both of us. So uh, just curious to know, uh, remember what I preached about last time? Anyone we remember? I won't feel bad if you don't. Anybody remember? Okay, a few of you. So we're going from stones of inspiration to stars of anticipation here this morning. Matthew chapter 2 talks about the star of Bethlehem. And I guess uh, how many of you within the last week or ten days were out looking at the heavens? Well, probably a good 50, 60, 75 percent of you. Well, I was included in that. I, I didn't want to pass up that opportunity to see uh, Jupiter and Saturn doing their display in the sky. First, uh, the 21st of December was the point where they were supposed to be the closest. We went home that night, and I there was a there was a bright star, a brighter star, or brighter glow, not really a star, the planets aren't stars, but uh, on the low southwestern horizon, and I, we talked about it last night, talked about it, we thought maybe that was it, but we couldn't see the, the lesser, dimmer uh, light, which would have been Saturn, so I'm not sure if it was or not, but the second night we were in there doing chores, and right about at twilight, Delvin came in and alerted us and said, you could clear, uh, the other night, the 21st, the uh, evening of the 21st, there was a fair amount of uh, cloud and haze, the evening of the 22nd, it was... Uh, Definitely clear, Les Hayes and Delvin said you can definitely see it. So we came out and looked at it, and it was, it was interesting. It wasn't quite what I would have anticipated. And I guess at the vantage point made a difference. I, I did look online at some different photos that were posted. Uh, some photos that were posted, they were closer together. I think there was one that I saw from with the, stat, in the Statue of Liberty, with they were in the background of the Statue of Liberty from New York City. I would have thought we were the same latitude, but again, it still may have had something to do with the angle, but they were almost together as one star or one one light, heavenly light. So I found that rather interesting. So that was my the direction of my thoughts, and I I thought about the uh, the uh, scripture that we have recorded about the star of Bethlehem. And I want to read Matthew chapter 2, read the entire chapter. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have, have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. 
When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they came, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and there and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was filled that which, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentations and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. I've entitled my meditation this morning, Follow the Star to Wisdom. As I thought about the uh, incident here that we have recorded in the scripture, I, uh, th- there's a lot of uh, speculation as to what that star may have de- have been, uh, an astrophysics astronomer from Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana, had one idea. I, I guess I I still question that. As I read different, uh, I think that his philosophy inclu- included Jupiter and Saturn, and he might have had Venus and and maybe the Moon in that too. I question how the moon could have factored in there. Uh, but anyway, he had, uh, he had his research and, uh, he, uh, seemed convinced that it, uh, could have been possible that, and I'm not refuting that. I'm certainly not an astronomer, astronomer by any stretch of imagination. But I did like answers in Genesis, uh, and I guess this would coincide with my thoughts that it was a miraculous and special star. I simply accept it as that. Whether God, in his uh, sovereignty and power, brought celestial bodies together in the heavens to, to make that happen, uh, he could have done that in an in a, in a unfashionable way or unpredictable way, perhaps. But it, yet God is a God of order. But then on the other hand, I think God, in my simplicity, God could have created a special star for, the, for his son, just for that special occasion. And that's what I like to believe, that God created just a special star for that occasion. I don't have any scientific data to back that up, 
I simply have faith in a God that is able to do anything. And uh, so that's what sustains me in my my belief and idea of that. You know, uh, why? The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. You know, it certainly wouldn't be difficult for him to orchestra a star for an event that was so pivotal in in the need of, of mankind in bringing and giving his son as as a gift to mankind as the redeemer as i thought of the i thought it was interesting that uh, the great conjunction that we saw of jupiter and saturn you know the the news media was calling it the Christmas star, the Bethlehem star. I thought that was rather rather interesting. And I, I thought about the the old-time favorite hymn, hymn, O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. And uh, that's where my lesson or my meditation title actually comes from. Third verse of that song goes forth, Jesus is now that star divine, brighter and brighter he will shine. And and that's, that's my... Uh, impetus here and purpose for sharing with you this morning that we would follow Jesus to the source of true wisdom. And uh, that song, incidentally, was my mom's favorite Christmas song, and I probably would say it's one of my favorite or probably my most favorite song, O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, as far as Christmas songs would go. And uh, so I was sitting there thinking about Christmas songs, and I don't do this very often. I you know, we, we sing them songs at kind of in a seasonal time of the year and, uh, you know, we, we kind of take them for granted. But, uh, got to thinking about what was, what was the, the background? What's the history of that song? And so I, I researched it. And, uh, after I researched it, my appreciation actually, uh, increased. It says, few people today realize the popular Christmas song, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, was written by the late R. Fisher Boyce in Middle Tennessee in a milk barn in the early part of the 20th century. So maybe you understand why I my appreciation for that song has deepened. It was written in a milk barn. What better place to write a song? And, uh, you know, that's sometimes where a lot of my uh, thoughts are, uh, well, should I say they're, they're ruminated and fermented in a milking barn. But uh, as I read further about some of the events, Bryce Road, beautiful star of Bethlehem, while the family was living on a dairy farm in the Plainview community about two or three miles from what is now the Interstate 24 Buchanan Road exit. The songwriter's son of the late Franklin Boyce recalled in a 1996 interview that his dad said he couldn't concentrate in the house because of the noise of the children. I think there was 11 in the family. And so he walked across the road to the milk barn where his cows were, and there he found solitude to, that he needed to... Uh, to write that song. My father said the song was inspired by the Lord. Otherwise, he, how could he, a simple country man, ever write a song about such a glorious event in world history? That's what his son Franklin said. When searching through some old papers in the fam- when searching through some old papers, the family found a yellowed article clipped from the Daily News Journal, a newspaper of Murfreesboro. It had been written in the early 1960s. A story by Marie Chapman recounts the elder Boyce's recollection of how the song came to be written. I got up one Sunday morning to write it down, Boyce recalls. When his, trains of thought, when his train of thought was interrupted by a member of the family who entered the room singing, he moved his pencil and his pad to the barn, and there the beautiful star of Bethlehem was put on paper. The words and the melody got on my mind, Boyce told Chapman, till he could hardly sleep at night. The humble farmer said he looked upon both words and tune as gifts from God. Dean Boyce, Franklin's wife, remembers how her late sister-in-law, Nanny Lou, 
talked about helping her father put down the music for the song. I believe she said they worked all morning on the music at the piano, and it rained hard all the time while they were working. Neil McKee, a retired educator who lived in in the Buchanan area, attended Mount Carmel Baptist Church where Boyce was a deacon and song leader when the song was written. Now in his 90s, McKee still attends the same church and recalls, recalls that Boyce would sing that lead part and his wife would sing the harmony in her clear alto voice. Fisher and Cora would sometimes sing the song at church, McKee remembers. So uh, that's the history of that song, and I uh, I guess I my appreciation for that is... Uh, it's uh, certainly the other interesting aspect that I thought was encouraging was it said he never received any royalty for that song. And uh, that was uh, he never wanted any remuneration, I don't believe, for his gift of God that he gave to mankind. As I was thinking about songs, favorite songs of Christmas, I guess I was thinking, OK, what would be number two? <laughs> and uh, I thought of Silent Night and then I thought of uh, another that is not such a. We don't typically sing it, but I thought of the song, The Little Drummer Boy, and uh, that's not typically a, a song that we would sing in our congregational. But generally, there's a message about that song, and I guess I have to say those two songs, Silent Night, The Little Drummer Boy, would be my number twos for Christmas selections. But uh, if you stop and think about the uh, the message of that song, The Little Drummer Boy, and it's it's a person's imagination, which a lot of songs are, people's imagination of how things are. But, you know, he the phrase of that song is, you know, he says, I'm a poor boy too. And what he gave and what he brought was simply what he had. And that's what God requires of us. God requires of us to give what he has entrusted with, with, with the talents that he has entrusted us with. As we look at Matthew chapter 2, I like to pick out some marks of wise men. And uh, we can make these applications to... Uh, to our lives as well. And I guess the number one principle and truth that I think, foundational truth, that will definitely set us on the right course to the source of wisdom, the source of being wise men, is uh, is found in, uh, in the uh, first part of the chapter here. It says, uh, these wise men, and that is who we worship. If we get this one right, if we worship the source, if we worship God, we worship Jesus, the source of all wisdom, true wisdom. We uh, we certainly will be starting on a good foundation like we talked about in our Sunday school lesson. One of the things that I, I found interesting as I was looking at these wise men who came from the east, there's a verse in in 1 Kings um, chapter 4, verse 30. I think of, you know, there's probably no discussion, no thought that... Uh, That we think about in relation to wisdom, we, you know, the man Solomon comes to mind. And uh, who was said to be the wisest man that ever lived. Now, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30 has this to say. It says, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country. Now, notice that. It says it excelled all the wisdom of the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. So Solomon was up here somewhere. He was He was up here with his wisdom. Now we, we know he, he certainly didn't, uh, his life certainly had some questionable, uh, times. But in the beginning of his leadership, kingship, and as he came to God as a humble person, and that is expressed there in verse 30. And the thing that stood out to me that was the fact that it relates that his wisdom exceeded 
the wisdom of all the children of the east country, which is where it says these wise men came from, the east. Uh, so that's, that's what it had to say about Solomon. God is the only object that is actually worthy of our worship. And uh, as we think of sourcing wisdom, you know, God, we worship God. He is the source of all wisdom. And he will, we, James tells us, we need to ask of him for wisdom freely. As I thought about the, you know, what are the options of worshiping uh, something other than God? Well, I thought of self, which is a very big uh, God in our world today, the God of self. And uh, that God is a very short-sighted God because where did I come from? What am I here for? You know, we start asking questions like that, and it soon becomes a circle. We go in a circle, and if it's only self-gratification that I'm looking at, you know, it's, it gets short-circuited, and, and it gets meaningless. But when we realize that God has placed us here for a purpose, that gives eternal dimension to it, takes us out of this world, takes us out of this life, and we can focus on something that is so much greater than just who I am and what I, what talents I have. God has blessed many of us with talents. Uh, some of you have talents that, of singing. Some of you have talents of organization. Some of you have talents of leadership. Whatever the talents are, God has given you those talents for purposes. And it's not just to be used on ourselves. So self is, is an empty God to worship. I like what we're talking about the Apostle Paul this morning. Uh, I should just turn to that verse. It's uh, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 10. <clears throat> Paul had, had a very good perspective, and I, I enjoyed the Sunday school class and appreciated what was shared. By the way, Dwight, Apollos was a Jew. <laughs> Acts chapter 18, verse 24. I'll, I'll play a Cole and Priscilla here, I guess. And just <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Um, This is what Paul said. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The grace of God is what I am. And what makes any of us what we are. So self, an empty God to worship. We are who we are only because of what God has done in our lives. The second alternative, or the second option that I thought about as far as worshiping would be that of nature. You know, we, we looked at the heavens, and we looked at nature around us. You know, it's beauty. We marvel at it. But, you know, it still brings us back to the question, but where did it come from? Who created it? Someone greater and mightier and more powerful than nature had to make it. It didn't just happen with a big bang as our evolutionists would suggest. God is the creator of that. And I think it's good to marvel at creation. I think it's good to enjoy creation. I think it's good to look at it, research it, study it. I think that's wonderful. But I think we need to pass that glory and worship the God of nature. The third option that I thought about is I was thinking about the alternatives for worshiping God, self, nature. And then I, I thought of the God of uh, of talents, I guess, in others. You know, you think of social entertainers, sports figures. Uh, you know, and that's, that's empty too, really. It is. Um, 
because they're, they're people really just like us that maybe have a specific talent that they build on. While that may be good, but you know, it, it invariably goes to what we use goes to their head. And the results are they're demanding bigger and bigger digit reimbursement pay. And, uh, you know, you have to ask, in all honesty, where did they get their talents from? There are talents to play music. There are talents to sing. There are talents to play sports, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, ultimately, it uh, and you know it can vaporize in a in a in a in a, in a sh- very short span of time. You know, there's always somebody better coming along, <laughs> and uh, so it's not long lasting. It, it only lasts for a short span of time, and to indulge in that glory is is very short lived. And those that worship them are again short sighted. Our worship needs to be. God, the source of all wisdom. The second thing that I think about a mark of a true wise man is that they exercise self-control and or discipline. I think that's a mark that is true of all wise, true wise men. And that's in verse, verse uh, we see that in verse 1, they came from the east to Jerusalem. And... Uh, I, I meditated on, and there's again, there's a varying opinions where these wise men came from. And again, we're not, the scripture does not clearly tell us who they were. Um, we don't know even how many. We oftentimes, in the figment of our imagination, because of the three gifts, perhaps, there was three. I would probably be inclined there was more, but I don't know. I don't have <laughs> scripture to back me up, so I don't want to go out on a limb. But there were there were wise men, so there was more than one. There was multiple. Well, as I thought about who they could have been, I, I thought, well, could have they been distant relatives of of Abraham's? Uh, you know, the heir of the Chaldees is off to the east of Jerusalem. Uh, again, that's just a, a possible cause. You know, you think of the life of Abraham. He left on a journey at one point, too, uh, from the heir of the Chaldees to where God wanted him to make of him a great nation, father of the Jews. And uh, could it have been perhaps that Abraham, before he left, explained to the people what he was attempting to do, that God was setting up a nation, a people, peculiar people that he could use for his purposes? Again, I don't know if that was where they came from. That's just a, a speculation of my thought. I thought about Abraham's journey as he left, and I thought of the wise men's journey, them coming to Jerusalem. The other thing I thought about could have it perhaps been acquaintances of Daniel. You know, that was over the toward the Babylonian uh, Persian Gulf there. Stephen knows about that. And, uh, you know, so Daniel had a position there among all the wise men of Babylon. Did he perhaps tell them about some of the unique happenings of God and him bringing his son to the earth for a redeemer? There are some prophetic scriptures in, in Daniel that perhaps they could have picked up on. I'm not sure. Again, that's just my... My imagination could have been Abraham, could have been Daniel. It, it could have been not related to any of them. But I'm, again, I'm just looking at options here. Their journey could have been a thousand miles or more, perhaps, depending. I, as I looked at the maps and measured it out, you know, I don't know if they came straight across the Arabian Desert or if they went up around the cradle of civilization there. I, I'm not certain. But either way, it was a fairly lengthy uh 
undertaking. So I think of that as in relation to them exercising self-control and discipline. They had a they had an objective, they had a goal in mind, and they were going to follow through on it. And uh, I can appreciate that. Uh, the other thing I had to question was, you know, was that was there, if the star was leading them, were they traveling only at night? Uh, that would seem like the the least hospitable time to be traveling, uh, and probably the most hostile time to be traveling. Um, if that was the case, I don't know. But uh, the star definitely was what had attracted their attention and uh, guided them on their way. I believe their journey involved faith. It involved sacrifice. It involved obedience. And we know it involved worship. Four very important aspects of learning to know who God is. That of faith, sacrifice, obedience, and worship. Those four things are very foundational in each one of us, learning to know who God is, the source of true wisdom. Do I exercise self-control and discipline in expressing my faith in obedience, in worship, and sacrifice? The third thing that I notice, or third mark that I see here in these wise men is that they weren't afraid to ask questions. And uh, I think that's a mark of true men who want answers, true men who are seeking wisdom. They came there in verse 2 and they said, uh, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. <clears throat> Along with asking questions, I believe they uh, another mark, and I think these wise men probably used it, logic. I, I think logic is a gift from God. Uh, God has given us... And when we talk about logic, we talk about the mental facilities to make deductions, okay? Uh, if, if, if we would have came here this morning and, and Richard hadn't made sure the temperature was up and, and it was warm, you know, we, we know that, you know, the logic was if he turns it up, it's going to be warm. But if we don't, if he didn't do anything, it wasn't going to be warm. It wouldn't have a comfortable worship. And, uh, you know, so we use logic. We know. He knew what time, probably how far ahead to turn it up and, uh, and where to set it so that we're all comfortable. And uh, not too warm or not too cold. Everybody looks comfortable this morning. But uh, logic is, is a gift from God that he gave us to to make applications. And I'm thinking logic is probably why they ended up at Jerusalem. That was not where the king of the Jews was born. I'm thinking they used some logic there. That's, again, that's just my my application to the scripture here. So logic needs to be used with caution. It can get us in trouble as it Maybe didn't exactly the wise men here, but uh, it did make it difficult for the the families of Bethlehem because of of their asking and inquiring of that question there at at Jerusalem. You know, you wonder why God allowed that, but it was was a fulfillment of prophecy. And, uh, you know, God certainly could have intervened in in their behalf if, if he would have not wanted them to go to Jerusalem. But I think it was probably logic that took them there because Jerusalem, as the capital of of the Jewish nation, even though it was under subject to Rome at the time. Asking questions. A wise person recognizes their need of others in learning. And uh, Paul, again, expressed that. He said, what have I gotten that I have not received from another? And uh, I think we all need to recognize that, too, that I don't have all the answers. And what have I that I have not received from someone else? Logic is okay to use, and this is my uh, 
expression of using logic. A wise person resorts to logic when there are gaps in the information they have. It's all right to use logic, but we need to do it with carefulness. Uh, again, we need to adjust. You know, well, that's exactly what the wise men did. They used logic and went to Jerusalem. But when we have Jerusalem, they asked those questions, and then uh, Herod accommodated them in calling up the uh, his uh, scribes and the Pharisees and uh, priests, chief priests and scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born. And then they told him, they said, well, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. So they knew where he was to be born. And then he conveyed that information to the wise men. As I think about asking questions and as we grow in our relationship with God, in our understanding of God, in our, in our wisdom, God, I believe, expects us to act and obey with the knowledge that we have. You, you look at the wise men. You know, they, God simply didn't give them the whole information at the beginning. He said, here's his star, and they followed it. They acted on the information that they have. And I believe God expects us, you and me, to do the same thing. We need to act and obey on the information and the knowledge that we have. We need to remember that it may not be complete or perfect. The, the wise men, actually in their knowledge and information, were missing verse 6. They didn't know that it was to be at Bethlehem, but they were simply following that star, and their logic took over, and they went to Jerusalem. But when they had received further instruction that it was going to be at Bethlehem, they came out, and sure enough, there was that star, and that star continued to, to lead them. I believe that can be our ex- experience as well. God will continue to lead us as we respond in obedience to the knowledge that we already have of who he is and what he expects of us. The fourth thing, Mark, that I see of, of a wise person is, I don't think a wise person feels threatened. Um, you know, if, if I feel, these wise men here, they came to, to Herod and asked, and uh, I don't see them as being feeling threatened in asking that question. Uh, and maybe they didn't know all about Herod, how terrible he was, I'm not sure. But I don't think they felt threatened. And uh, as I think about uh, you know, Herod was the one that felt threatened, really. Stop and think about it. He was the one that felt threatened. And he should have been the one that was embracing that birth. He was the one that should have been uh, rejoicing in that. Uh, but instead, he felt threatened. Wise men, I don't believe, feel threatened. If I feel threatened, I need to ask myself, where is my focus? And, you know, in all honesty, if I feel threatened, the focus is probably going to be on myself. What's it going to What's it going to mean to me? What's it going to What's going to happen to me? And... Uh, you know, I am only one small piece in the bigger picture of God's program, in the p- bigger picture of the entire world. I am only one really small piece. You know, as I thought about that, you know, it's the next farmer, the next deacon, the next CM rep, etc. Continue on. The next whoever it is will be responsible for that portion of time or link. I am only responsible for the... the uh, the time frame that God has given and entrusted to me. I certainly don't need to feel threatened in it. And uh, the wise men, I don't think, were threatened, felt threatened at all in asking those questions and uh, receiving instruction in guidance in further finding the end source of their uh, their journey. And, uh, you know, if you stop and think about it, that's, 
that's the ultimate source of our journey too. We want to find Jesus. We find him here in a, in a spiritual sense, but there's, there's coming a time when we will enjoy and see him in a physical, physical presence and sense as well. And that's, that's the ultimate source and end of true wisdom. We will arrive someday and we will see him in, in person. And, uh, so we need to be wise men searching on our journey as well. The fifth thing that I see is, is that in verse nine, the, I believe a mark of a wise person is that they are good listeners. These wise men here, verse nine, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. What makes a person a good listener? Uh, this is one, this is personal to me because I, I, I'm not a good listener naturally and I don't, maybe nobody is. I think some people are talented in that way. Some people are good listeners, but this was good. I'm speaking to myself and you can listen. I need to focus on what's being discussed and, uh, I don't need to interrupt. I need to listen and watch my, who's speaking to me. I need to be aware of preconceived thoughts. They can derail your listening. Preconceived thoughts can take you off on a tangent and you've already arrived at uh, your conclusions before the person is done talking. There can be physical and noise settings. Uh, there can be physiological noise in our heads. There may be other objects. There may be other obstacles that are going around in our mind, other situations that are causing us not to listen. Remember is a key component to listening. How much of, what you're listening to this morning will you retain after you leave this building? Probably a small percentage. But if I can give you just one nugget of truth to remember, I'll have felt like I've succeeded. Be a good listener. Again, I'm speaking personally to myself. These wise men, if you want to be a true wise man or person, woman, be a good listener. The sixth thing that I see in regards to these wise men is that they were sharing people, and I think that's a that's a true mark of a of true wise person. Um, if we notice that in verse eleven, they came into the house, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasure, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I can you just stop and think of the the humble situation where where Jesus was born into this into the stable, which very likely was the animal portion below the house. Now, this time, he's, it, it refers to it as a house. So, And again, we're not sure on the time frame here. It could have been anywhere from 40 days to two years, perhaps. Uh, I'm sure her overcompensated in, in destroying the babies that were born. That's just my logic. I, I think he probably overcompensated, but he, you know, he said two years and under is what he destroyed. But... Uh, you know, here he is with Mary, his mother, and uh, again, think of the gifts that they brought. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, symbolic of his kingship. Frankincense, uh, an expression of his deity or high priestly role that he played. And myrrh as simply a, an, an expression of the death that he was going to uh, experience. Myrrh was often simply a... Uh, Franken myrrh was a an ointment that was used at at burial, and so it was symbolic of his death and suffering. Again, I have to ask myself what what did these wise men understand about Jesus that they brought those three gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Did they understand 
They addressed him as king of the Jews. Did they understand that he was the man, the God-man between a sinful man and a holy, righteous God? Did he understand that, that he was going to be the sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, and pay the price and the penalty for sinful mankind? Are you interested in being a wise man, a wise person this morning? You can look at those six traits of wise men here in the scripture. You know, if you stop and think about it, to be a wise person really doesn't cost a lot of dollars and cents. Um, James, in the book of James, Dwight's preaching out of the book of James, so I'll just refer to this these verses here. James 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if we, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, that's our Sunday school lesson, right? Envying and strife. There is confusion in every evil work. Now notice verse 17. If you want to check your life, the wisdom that you have, it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now that's, that's saying a lot there in that verse 17. You want to check your life, the wisdom that you have, is that a description of the wisdom that I have? I hope it is. I want it to be. And I hope you want it to be that as well. So may God uh, grant to us the source, the wisdom that we need for 2021. And uh, may God help us make the decisions and choices that we need and that we ultimately will arrive at the end of our journey and find our Savior, not in a manger, but sitting on a throne as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our desire.